All right, we will eventually get to Mark chapter 10. I have a little bit of a long introduction today, so bear with me. I want to talk with you guys about the heart of sacrifice, all right? And don't tune me out because I know you think I'm going to be asking you to volunteer in children's ministry or something, and that'd be great, but that's not what we're talking about. This is not a you should be doing more pep talk. As a matter of fact, I really believe there has to be a balance in your life, uh, that is, you know, healthy for you and your family. Uh, but God permeates all of that. It's not like God is sectioned off in one little corner and everything else is, is equal time. It's everything is balanced according to God and he fills everything. And so this is about living a life of, of with a heart sacrifice to him. And uh, so I want us to talk about this, the way we live our daily lives and being transformed by the power of God's spirit and his word. I want to tell you something right now that Christianity, a relationship with Jesus, is all about life transformation. It isn't fire insurance. It isn't like you make a decision one day, you sign on the dotted line, wow, I've got that policy, I'm going to tuck it away in my file cabinet and live my life however I want. That is not what Christianity is. It's about transformation and everything that you do in church is to prepare you to serve Jesus. So that means when you come here and get discipled, you're hearing the word, or you're going to men's Bible study or women's Bible study or life group or what do you call them? Anchor groups, uh, whatever that is, that's all part of the discipleship. But for what purpose? that you would grow and transform and that your life would affect other people's lives and the love of Christ would just be shared again and again and again. So that without that life transformation, what you have on your life is a label and that's it. The sad thing about people that live without that life transformation, without knowing that Jesus is real and being changed day by day, the sad thing is you think that's what Christianity is all about. And you think that's what church is all about. And you think this is, what, this is all there is to it. And so, of course, if it's dry and boring and cracker and dusty and you don't like it, I can get why you don't want to come to church. I can get why you don't want to serve. I can get why you just want to live your life any way you can. I can get why you feel hopeless out there and you think the church doesn't help you with that. I can get why you think that alcohol and drugs or whatever else is going to bring you more fun than what you find in here. And the reason for that is because transformation hasn't began. It hasn't occurred. It's not, you're not growing. You're not living in Christ. All right, so that's what I want to talk about. Now, being transformed by Christ doesn't happen with us, with, bring us perfection immediately. Right? What happens is we come to Jesus. He enters our life. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And he begins to change us on our daily walk with him. We're not who we used to be, thank God. But we're also not who we want to be. Right. We're growing in him. And he loves us just as we are. Right? We know that. All right. So I want to talk to you about loving him with all that you are and all that you have. And this type of love leads us to devotion, to be devoted to God. And that devotion leads us to worship him. And that worship leads us to obey him. God's word says, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's pretty simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, Jesus is saying that love inside of you should lead to something. It should lead to a pathway of serving him, a journey 
of serving him, knowing him, loving him, and being sanctified day by day. All right. So obedience leads us to sacrifice, but not empty sacrifice. It's not meaningless. It's not just doing things because we feel like we have to. Right? Uh, I think of the story of Jonah. You guys know there are four chapters in the book of Jonah. The first one, he's a prophet, right? And he's told to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, probably because of racism. When you read it, you kind of see that he doesn't like that group of people very much. He runs away. Next chapter, he gets swallowed by a big fish. God's like, oh yeah? You're going to run from me? Let me show you. All right? Then, chapter 3, he repents. And God uses him. He goes to Nineveh like he's supposed to. He prophesies. Something amazing happened. The people repent. God spares Nineveh. He does not destroy Nineveh. He saves them. Fourth chapter, Jonah's ticked. He's mad because God didn't destroy them. What does that show us? First of all, he, he was rebellious. Second of all, he was disciplined and then he repented. And then he did what God wanted, but he didn't do it with the right heart. What's interesting is God still used him. The people still heard the message. They still repented. But Jonah was miserable. He went away upset that the people actually responded to God. Why? Because his heart was messed up. That can be us sometimes. I think of the prodigal son's brother, whatever his name was. Do you remember? The prodigal son wants to get away from daddy. He cheats him out of money. He goes away. He, um, he lives a bad life, right? He gets all crazy. He loses all of his money. It's time to come back. He thinks, oh, my dad won't want me, but his dad does. His dad runs to him with arms wide open and embraces him. What happens to the good son that had been there the whole time? The one who'd been serving him, he'd been the faithful son, probably thinking, you know, I'm the good son, not like my black sheep brother. And all of a sudden the good brother, I mean the bad brother comes back. What happens to the good son? He's mad. He's angry. Why? Because his heart wasn't right. And in church today, in the Christian life, we can serve God out of resentment and bitterness. We can serve God with the wrong heart and totally miss the blessing. Totally miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives and the lives of others because we're just showing up with a bad attitude. And we don't check it. We don't check ourselves. Everybody gets a bad attitude sometimes. Even Grace. <laughs> She's one of the sweetest people I know. She gets a bad attitude sometimes. We all do. And you know what? We have to ask God to, to show us what's going on. To check it. We have to repent. We have to ask him to, to do a new work in us day by day. All right, so I want to tell you this. I, I'm going to ask you to picture something with me. I want you to picture a window. And sometimes when I look through this window, I can see a better way of life for me. It's like I'm looking in, in my mind's eye, and I see through this glass a better way. I get a, a snapshot of what my life could be like. While spending time in prayer, I feel the draw of the Holy Spirit. The curtains open. And I realize that I want to turn away from my natural tendency, my natural way of doing things. I can see on the other side of this window, my life. If I were to live like my life was poured out for Jesus, I can see it. I can almost see that, that snapshot. 
And my heart is so full of love for him that I'm willing to do anything. And not just something big on a specific day, someday down the road, but little things and big things every day. And on the other side of the window, I can see that my tendency there, my tendency for constant attention to achievement or acquiring prestige or position or regard and things is put away. And over on that side of the window, it's not about my rights anymore. The soap opera that I tend to want to live regarding work and bills and relationships and health issues and fatigue, they do not consume my thoughts in the life I see through the window. See, I have this tendency to default to a life filled with attention on self. But over there... That picture I have of myself. Myself is dead. As I look through the window, I see me living for Christ. I can see it. I can see a better way of life. Can you look through the window and see you living a life like that? One that leads to true fulfillment and rich blessings. A life that not only pleases us, but pleases and glorifies God. The truth is that when we take our last breath on this earth, what will remain from our life? Is it going to be our 401k? Don't look at the stock market right now. Just don't look. Because we know that the 401k can disappear in an instant. Is it a job or business? Because that can be ruined or somebody else can come in and do it better. Is it a home? Because one can be built down the street that's bigger. Is it some kind of achievement? Because someone can do it better. And what about the people you know? Do they feel loved, seen, noticed, prayed for, encouraged, shared with, served, helped as a result of knowing you? Are you able to share Jesus with your words, with your money, with your hands, with your actions, with your time? Most of us who follow Jesus, we come in and out of that life. Sometimes we actually are sort of walking in that life beyond the window. We're there. And then other times we find ourselves back with our attention to, on ourself. And we have that tendency to go back and forth or maybe to default back. To the selfish life. And the fallen nature comes naturally to mankind. It's as if myself shouts, all eyes on me, all the time. I may not look like it to people. I may be smiling and acting humble. But inside, what I really want is my way. That's my human nature. Maybe that's not true of you guys. It's true of me. We have an example to follow, and the example is not about stuff, reputation, or things. It's about sacrifice. It's about knowing God and serving him. In Jesus, we really have the ultimate servant and king in one person. Check this out. He came into the world by being born in a barn, not a palace. His birth was announced by shepherds, not a royal messenger, his earthly family was poor, not rich. Not only did Jesus start his earthly life in humble beginnings, but Jesus consistently took the route of self-sacrifice. 
He identified with the lowly and the outcasts. Jesus was always willing to give his reputation away for the sake of serving those around him. Often the social outsiders were trapped by their culture and society, but Jesus humbly offered them a new way. Jesus was never consumed with obtaining earthly stature or reputation. It's not like he didn't have the opportunity because he did. Instead, Jesus remained obedient on earth to the heavenly purpose he was called to. He gave away abundant, never-ending love to all. Even Jesus' final days here on earth hardly looked like those of a king. He was killed as a criminal in a torturous, humiliating manner. Jesus entered the world humbly and exited the world humiliated by all accounts. Yet God highly exalted him. As a church, our calling is to follow in the footsteps of our teacher, Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. It is not to follow the latest amazing teacher on TV. It's not to be a disciple of some shiny, fancy guy or woman who seems so successful. It's not about following them. It's not about obeying them. It's not about embracing their teaching. It's about embracing the teaching of Christ and following him. We're to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So here's the problem. The problem revealed is mankind is consumed with self. I don't know if you realize that. It's true. True fact. And if you talk to your spouse, they'll tell you, yeah, you are too. Um, just kidding. Sort of. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10. See, I finally got to the scripture here. Here we go. I'm going to give you a little heads up about this story before we read uh, th this passage. This is about the rich young ruler. You guys remember the story. Uh, he wanted to know how to have eternal life. He went and asked Jesus. Jesus said, keep these specific commandments. Young man said, I've done that since my birth. And Jesus didn't correct him. But of course, the man, young man hadn't done them perfectly, no matter what he thought, because there's no one perfect except for Christ. But Jesus didn't belittle that. He just said to him, uh, then sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then uh, you will have treasure in heaven and you can come take up your cross and follow me. The young man went away sad, right? Because he had a lot of possessions, it says. Now, interesting point is Jesus didn't lower the standard or the bar for this rich young ruler. He didn't say, oh, you kept all those commandments? Okay, then you only have to give away half and come follow me. Oh, really? Only 25%. Okay, really, you only have to do 10%, right? Jesus didn't say that. He said, this is the standard. What is the standard? You have to give all. I'm not asking you for your money today. That's not what this message is about. So, you know, just if that is like rolling around and you just relax. I'm talking about giving much more than that. I'm talking about giving all, giving, submitting our own will to God. That's what this is about. That's when life transformation begins is as we say to Jesus, you can have it all. Show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me, Jesus. I want to follow you. And your life becomes different. It becomes transformed by him, by his love, by his spirit. 
Look at verse 23. It says that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. <coughs> Excuse me. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, I want to tell you that we could spend weeks going through this passage of Scripture. I know that we could go really deep with this, but today I am painting a wide swath to get to specific points that God has laid on my heart. Okay? So out of this passage, I just want to point this out. First of all, people get tripped up over, what does that mean, camel go through the eye of a needle? Is it a, a gate that they had in Jerusalem that camels couldn't go through? Is it an actual, you know, camel through an eye of a sewing needle? What does it mean? You know what? People have debated that for a long time. The truth is, is there was no gate at this time of this writing that was too small for a camel to go through at the time, even though people say that's probably what it means. There wasn't in Jerusalem a gate like that. So we don't know what it means exactly except this. Can you get a camel through an eye of a needle? Whether it's a gate or a sewing needle? The point is this. The point is that it's difficult for people that are depending on their own abilities and wealth to solve their problems. It's, it's difficult for them to come to Jesus because they think, I can get myself out of every mess. I can depend on my own abilities. I can depend upon my wealth. Jesus is saying it's difficult for people like that because they're so independent and self-dependent that they don't want to put their dependence on me. Right? That is the message here. And the disciples are astonished. They're astonished. Why? They're astonished because they thought that if you're rich, that's the blessing of God on your life, which means God must want you. Because you, you have financial blessings, so God wants you. He doesn't want the lepers and the prostitutes and the sinners and the beggars. That's what the disciples thought. That's what people think today. People want their churches full of wealthy people with fat bank accounts, with their debit card, ready to flip that debit card out. Sometimes, that's what churches want. Jesus wants all people. He wants all people regardless of their wealth, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their education, regardless of the, what area of town they live in, their age, their weight, their their beauty or lack of, their hair or lack of, whatever. Right? And so he's just saying, you know, the disciples were astonished. And Jesus says, look, with God, it's possible. It's possible. God has to transform the heart. There has to be that, that life transformation there. All right? Then Peter, in true Peter fashion, says, but we've left everything. Look at us. If that's true, Jesus, we must really be on your good side because, man, we've given up so much. 
And Jesus is like, no, you don't ever serve God without his blessing coming your way. And I want you to know that right now is that the blessing of God is waiting for you. The blessing of God, you must already feel it. But even as you serve him more and more and more, it's just poured out. And I'm not talking about just financial blessing. I mean, you know, Jesus takes care of people, all right? You're not going to be begging, and you're not going to be without food. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the rich spiritual blessings and family and just relationship with people and just the beauty of seeing the Spirit of God work through your life from the mundane to the incredibly miraculous. It's all beautiful. It is beautiful. This church is beautiful. That God would use me even for a little smidgen of it. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. I've seen the body of Christ move in such a way to really be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, today. And it's just a beautiful thing. All right. Look at verse 32. It says, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. And are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So here are the disciples. They listen to Jesus. They hear what he said. You know, they're amazed. They're afraid. They're, they're listening. Jesus said, hey, guys. So I'm going to be beaten and crucified, crown of thorns, the whole bit. When we get there, just a heads up. You would think the disciples would be like, oh man, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Jesus, we're going to pray for you. Jesus, oh no, I don't want that to happen. Jesus, let it be me instead. I mean, any response of compassion or empathy would have been amazing. <laughs> like even a, that's rough. You know, anything. <laughs> Anything would have been good. But instead it was like, um, can we do something for us? You know, because we really want to be first. Okay, one on each side. You know, and, and, and we were kind of hard on the disciples at times like this. But I want to tell you, that is not far from where we are. As human beings, we are so self-focused. Remember, that's our human nature, right? And we're typically thinking about us. I mean, you can see somebody get blessed in church or promoted or something cool happened to them and immediately think, well, what about me? Why wasn't that me? Why did thank God? <laughs> right? I mean, that is, our, that is our tendency. And so we see that here and just that desire to be first. So I want to say, I, I feel like history, which is the worship of self, self-destruction and rebellion, we see that throughout history must collide with destiny. What is destiny? 
your relationship with Jesus Christ. All of the history, remember, we believe that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and then from then on, we were, were sinful. We're, we're sinful beings. The only way to, to have victory over that is through relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our history, which must collide with destiny, which is that relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I want to ask, well, I'm going to read this. I know I don't have much time. I, I blame, uh, who can I blame? Uh, grace, again, grace. Okay, <laughs> Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Everybody say amen. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. That is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the answer, the destiny that you must meet is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Life transformation, not a label, not the Christian label. Life transformation. You are a new creature and you're walking it out. You're making mistakes and when you fall, you fall on Jesus. You get up and you keep walking and you're growing. Change from the inside out. A new way of living. If that hasn't happened, you need to meet Jesus. You need to encounter Jesus. So the solution for us today is to give ourselves away. Give yourself away. To Christ first and then to loving and serving others. Same passage, Mark 10, just reading a few more verses. Verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, many people use this passage to teach about servant leadership. And of course, it is an amazing example of servant leadership. But that's not all it is. This is about followership. This is about having influence over people through following. We think that leadership is influence over people through leading. That's an accurate definition. This is talking about followership. That we lead through following. Following who? Following Jesus. Working together. That, that it would be something bigger than, than just us being at the helm of our life and it all being about us. Um, you guys know the story in John chapter 13 where Jesus took, out his, took off his outer garment. He put a towel around his waist and he knelt to wash the disciples' feet. Remember that story? And Peter said, oh, not my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then I have no part of you. And he said, well, they're not just my feet, but my whole body. Jesus went around and he just washed their feet. And um, he said, you do this also to them. Like, you, you should live like this. Now, we're not going to have a foot washing service, so relax. <laughs> but you understand the idea of it, right? The humility that's involved with the king 
making himself a slave, taking on the lowest position to wash his disciples' feet and telling them to do the same. He's talking to you. You're his disciples. Do the same. Humble yourself. Serve your brother and sister and allow yourself to be served because there's not just a foot washer in this equation. There's somebody has to, who has to let their feet get washed. That's embarrassing. That's humiliating. If I don't cut my toenails, you know, it's like pterodactyl is going to swoop down on them or something. It's not good. It's embarrassing. I don't want somebody washing my feet. But the picture here is one of humility, that we're vulnerable with one another and that we're willing to serve. He's calling us to be loving, devoted worshipers. It's about what pleases God and not what pleases us. When you came in today, what did you think? What was your mindset? Were you on an automatic? Maybe that guy just got to get in there and have church, you know, another Sunday. Got to get out quick. Did you come in today thinking, God, how can you use my life today? God, how can I bless you? God, what do you have for me today? God, who can I talk to? Who can I pray for? Is there somebody that I need to slip a little money to? Is there somebody that needs a pat on the back? Is there somebody who needs a meal? God, is there something that you have for me today to do? Or was it just habit and obligation? Did you come in today thinking about what you were going to get out of it? Did you come today thinking about the music that you hope they sing this song and not that song? You hope that person doesn't sing. You hope Pastor Jeremy doesn't go an hour like he said. (laughs) Did you come with a bad attitude? Listen, I've gone to plenty of services with a bad attitude and I was the pastor. There are times when we just have a bad attitude. No condemnation, but be honest with yourself. Check yourself. Ask God to show you so that you can repent. You can have a hard heart turn soft again. That that little ember would be fanned into a flame. If you're volunteering, if you serve here, did you, do you serve just because you're required to? Or did you come with a heart for God to really work through your life? That's what I want. Here's a question. If, there was, if this was just a prayer meeting without any music or coffee or anything else, would you show up? Or would you be like, prayer? You know what? It's so funny because we as Christians all know that prayer is crucial. We all know it's crucial. And it is the most um, neglected thing in our Christian life. Isn't it weird? Think about that. Could that possibly be a spiritual thing? Something so easy to do is so difficult. God's called us to be a living sacrifice. You guys know Romans 12. Read it. Romans 12, 1 through 5. He's called you to live your life as a living sacrifice. And it says in that passage, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Talking to me too. Talking to all of us. We have a tendency before long to think that the word of God is for everybody else. 
Living a life of Christ-centered service is ultimately seeing your life as a sacrifice unto God, not because you have no choice, but because you love so much. Do you love God? I know you do. Do you love people? Sometimes. I'm just being honest. Well, I'm talking for myself. But I want to love more. Do you think that if we ask God with a sincere heart to give us hearts filled with love that he would do that? Do you think that would be something that he would want to do? To pour his love in and through us? I think so. Jesus served others and ultimately served people from every tongue, tribe, and nation with his death and resurrection. His service was that of complete sacrifice. And that's what we're called to do. Here's the truth. It's easy for me to say I love Jim. I'm going to pick on Jim again. Jim, I love you. It's easy for me to say that. But it's harder for me to say I will give my life for Jim. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm called to give up my life for Jim. Now that may not mean my physical life, that I'm supposed to take a bullet, but it might mean that I'm supposed to help him out if he drives his car into a ditch on a snowy morning. It might mean I'm supposed to take a meal over there, or I'm supposed to reach out to them in prayer, or spend time with them having coffee, or something. Right? That's what it... It means to, to, when we say we love people, it's so easy for us today. Oh, I love you, bro. Love you, bro. Love you, sis. Oh, I love you. Ha, ha, ha. Hug, hug, kiss, kiss. And then we never see each other. There's no bread being broken between us. There's no real conversation. There's no vulnerability where we know what's going on in each other's lives. But that's the life we've been called to as believers. This is your family right here. Just to read a couple quotes and I'll be done. Sacrifice alone. This is about sacrifice is supposed to be done in love, right? Sacrifice alone, bare and unrelieved, is ghastly, unnatural, and dead. But self-sacrifice, illuminated by love, is warmth and life. It is the death of Christ, the life of God, and the blessedness and only proper life of man. Sacrifice with love is what it's all about. I want to tell you that September for us was really difficult. Uh, my, my wife's mother passed away in September, Joyce. I don't know if you guys knew her. She came here with us when we were here. Uh, and then we had one of our children uh, had a miscarriage. And so, of course, that was rough on our family. And then uh, I went on dialysis last month. And so it was just like a, the September. I wanted to sing that song, Wake Me Up When September Ends. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I finally did. And um, it was rough. But you know what happened? Our church in Las Vegas, not the whole church, it's kind of a larger congregation, but the, the circle of people around us, they activated, man. They were on it. They called us. They sent food cards, whatever you call that, and a DoorDash and all that stuff because they didn't want Carol to have to cook. And they, they just, they took care of us. They really reached out to us in love. They took a moment. And it was love, which is an action word, right? It, they were loving us. I know you guys do that here as well. And it's such a blessed and proper way of life. I love that quote for that reason. 
And this is about living that life everywhere, not just at church, but in your home, how you're treating your kids, your spouse, your parents, right? It's that, that heart of love. God really wants to permeate every area. And it is possible because he tells us that it is. He wants to fill us up that we could walk in the spirit and live that life. Last quote. God has plans greater than we could ever ask or imagine in store for us if we will lay down our dreams to make space for his. He has inexpressible joy for us if we will exchange what has made us temporarily happy for his dreams and visions that are full of purpose, meaning, and adventure. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and more abundantly. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. We know that. We know that his way is better. We know that life beyond the window is superior to the life that we live on this side of it. The question is, how do we get that to be our reality? How do we live there? And for those of you who have or periodically have, You know what I'm talking about. It's the richest of blessings. And I believe that God is calling us to a life of surrender day by day. That we would walk in a way that even though the world is still there and even though the bills are still there and all those issues are there, that there's a way for us to walk and surrender to him where we don't let the civilian things so bog us down that we become overwhelmed and we lose sight of the eternal. We lose sight of what's truly important. And I believe the only way to live in that life is by self-sacrifice. It's by surrender to God. Give up your will. His plan is better. The blessings are richer. And you can trust him. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I I come with my friends to you and I thank you for them. I thank you for the opportunity just to, to worship you and to study your word. And we pray, Father, that right now that you would move by your spirit on every heart that is here that you would not allow one of us, God, to tune you out, not one of us to uh, turn away from you, but you would woo us, God, unto yourself, that we would make a choice to follow after you. We would bow our knee, God, and surrender to you. I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, they've never put their faith and trust in you, that right now, Father, they would make that decision to give their lives wholly to you, And I pray for those of us who have been believers for a while that may need that ember fanned into flame, may need it rekindled, may need an adjustment where we're looking to you again, that we're looking and and desiring that life beyond the window, desiring to step through that and live a life committed and surrendered to you where the things of God are more important than the things of man you would help us, God. That you would do that work in us. 
We thank you that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you love us as we are and we come to you without fear because of that. Do a work in our heart, we pray. We recognize, God, that we are inadequate in ourselves to save ourselves or to live our lives in a way that brings you glory and honor. We need your Holy Spirit. We need that work, that life-giving work in us. Please forgive us for the times when we have lost our focus. We've forgotten what we're doing and why we're doing it. Remind us of who we are, God. Help us to step into where you have us and what you have for us. Thank you, God, for your amazing love. Thank you for your unending love that has relentlessly pursued and held and kept us as your children. We love you, Father. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.